From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio. I'm Connor Sweetman. This week's guest is Greg Brown of Oxbow Partners, and we're talking about the future of Lloyd's. So, Greg, can you maybe just introduce yourself, uh, tell people a little bit about your background and what you're up to now at Oxbow Partners? Yeah. Hi, so I'm Greg Brown. I'm a partner at Oxbow Partners. Um, Oxbow Partners is an insurance-only consulting business. Um, so my background is in technology and operations. I was at Accenture for a number of years and various other bits and pieces. Um, and I spend a lot of my time helping people look at operational models, including the tech, in order to support it. So for me, the, the future at Lloyd's has a lot of that in it. So it's a particularly interesting topic. Cool. Yeah, like re- reading through um, what's come out over the last uh, two weeks or so about the future at Lloyd's, it kind of seems to me that Lloyd's are trying to be all things to all men in a way. Um, and it really just got me thinking about like fundamentally, what is Lloyd's for? You know, what is their purpose? Um, and maybe if we can kind of set the scene by actually trying to discuss that and answer that question. Yeah. At heart, like why is Lloyd's there uh, and what is its purpose? Yeah, I'm going to be slightly cheeky and answer your question with another question, but but then get into the detail. But I said one of the things that this blueprint makes makes certainly makes us at Oxbow Partners think is that Lloyd's, the kind of Lloyd's proposition, what Lloyd's value is about, is something that needs to be considered and is clearly John Neal, who's arrived um, um, in the last few months. He's thinking about a lot but fundamentally behind lloyd's it's really a place where people can transact insurance where there is infrastructure in place global set of licenses expertise and kind of internal services just to make just to allow people to do that ideally and i'll come back to that in a minute in a seamless way um and it's and it's i mean i was talking to um um chief exec of the syndicate uh, yesterday and and he was saying like this is a fantastic environment for people to build an insurance company on a shoestring because all the infrastructure is there um, for you and i mean it clearly has value it's been growing about six percent the last uh kind of circa 10 10 years caveat the recent year but we can come back to that um so it's i mean it definitely it has value as an institution i mean it's clearly lasted 400 odd years um and I think, as I said at the beginning, what people are now asking is in a world of digital, does the, the kind of physical building structure and all the kind of infrastructure around it, is that still how it should operate? And John Neal obviously set out in his blueprint ways he thinks that we can evolve the current model to try and maintain its relevance. Cool. Well, well let's get into that. And um, so the, the six solutions that they're, promo- that they're uh, proposing are sort of complex risk platform, Lloyd's Risk Exchange, Claim Solution, Capital Solution, Syndicate in a Box, and the Services Hub. So maybe let's go through them and kind of maybe let's give the lay of the land. You know, what is it like now? Yeah. Why is there yeah. a need for change? And then what is the proposed solution? So let's start with the yeah. complex risk platform. Like how is yeah. how do they actually define what a complex risk is? Well, that's interesting. In the In the blueprint itself, there is no specific definition of complex risk there's an implication of the value of the risk but 
a, a, the premium on the risk isn't always correlated with the complexity. You can have some small businesses with some very complex setup where the premium isn't going to be necessarily enormous, but because of the diversity of their business, multiple trading partners, so on and so forth, you could end up with quite a complex risk. So, but let's keep that kind of simple view of there is a correlation between the size of the premium and the complexity of the risk. Um, and that's, that's, what, that's roughly what's implied in the blueprint. But as I said, there's no specific definition. Okay. And so what is the complex risk platform then? Or sorry. So... Well, as it was just if you're looking at how they're traded now, so yeah, complex risks are traded now. Brokers go up to a box and trade directly with an underwriter. Yeah, exactly. So they will go, they will, they will turn up, they will wait in line. The brokers will wait in line to speak to an underwriter. They'll show them physical paperwork. Often, I mean, obviously, this is changing with even in the last few years with some things more electronically traded, Um, and that has great value. The broker can turn up in the morning, sit next to an underwriter, bring them a policy for a nuclear power station, and within a few hours have the underwriter sign it off and say, yep, absolutely. Um, I will underwrite this risk. And obviously then you, then there's a mutualization where they might trundle around to other boxes and say, look, I've got 50% of it covered by the guys over there. Can you please cover another 25% or whatever the, the numbers? So it's a very, it's a, it's a very manual process, which as I said, has value because people can get things done pretty quickly for some complex things. Um, but, as they lay out at the beginning of the blueprint, a Lloyd wants to grow. I think there's a kind of notional two times in the next two times growth in the next decade, um, and also, and that's this is the, really what feels like the emphasis of the model: reduce the cost base from forty percent to either thirty percent in twenty twenty five or twenty five percent. Sorry, twenty five percent later on. And in order to do that, an implication of the blueprint is that technology is needed to make the processes more efficient to stop there being lots of people having to do lots of rekeying between the syndicate system or the internal lawyer system and actually just have, and between brokers, obviously, and there's various brokers in the chain, just have a single system where the risks are placed on that. And then all of the business can tra- flow through that system. Um, and the idea is just to make it more efficient to do business on complex risks. Yeah, and I suppose we can, it's kind of clear to imagine that in our head. So you know, if you walk into Lloyd's, like you said, there will be lines of people waiting to see underwriters. And now we're essentially, like that in itself is a huge cost because even just people, the yeah. cost of people's time standing there it, um, is quite expensive. So we're try, essentially trying to remove that and kind of to, trying to streamline it. Yeah, I mean, there will still be, there is still definitely some value of that instant access mm. to the underwriters. But you're you're absolutely right. It's trying to make the whole process as a whole more efficient. The transfer of data from the insured through the various brokers into Lloyd's, just pre- removing the fact that everyone is always kind of rekeying information in through the process. Now, steps have been made. Um, you, with the PPL platform, which was part of the London Market Tom program, which was closed about, about a week before um, this blueprint was released at the end of September. And a lot of work has been done already there. Um, and in fact, in the blueprint, they're saying we're going to take the PPL platform and we're going to build on it. Um, in fact, Lloyd's is going to take an equity stake in the PPL platform. So it's definitely making a stand saying we want to own, have more control at least over the technology that we that we use um 
And one other thing, and it's possibly a bit of a detail, but one other thing that they're talking about is that they want the system, they want the platform to move to being kind of made up of data items rather than just a repository for documents, because the current process is very much based on people handing documents over. And as I said, it's a, it's a documents are a machine, I'm sorry, a people readable thing. I mean, they're designed for people to read and it's a very people heavy process. So it works well. What they want to do is move the systems to much more machine readable information where bits and bytes and, and, and data elements um, and what they're saying is we're going to take the PPL platform, build on it, and move from it being a system which is, which is largely, well, it, largely storing of documents with a few data points to being entirely data points with a few documents. Um, and that's the plan over the next three years. So, so what is, uh, before we move on to uh, the Lloyd's Risk Exchange, so what is the phase one plan for the complex risk platform? So they want to do an early build of a document plus data solution, which reading between the lines, and, and I, am, I am making assumptions here, so someone feel free to email me and tell me that I've made the wrong assumption. Um, an early build of the document plus data solution, as they describe it, which in essence, I think, is taking the PPL platform, listening to a whole load of feedback from the market about what works well and what could work better, and making those changes to it. Um, they're also going to do uh, prototypes of a data-first solution, which is that use kind of more machine-readable, less um, well, not less human-readable, but more machine-readable system. Um, there's and so that's the phase one. No specifics on ordering of of precise which bits they'll improve or which classes that they will implement first. My guess is they will definitely they will pick a class um, to start with. Uh, just makes this makes sense to do it that way. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you. So let's look at the Lloyd's Risk Exchange. So we were talking there with the complex risk platform about yeah. complex risks. And this is for yeah. the un, undefined non-complex uh, yeah. risks. Again, this is undefined, yeah. presumably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not. Well, it's not. It's not explicitly defined in the blueprint. Um, uh, and then obviously that also that obviously leaves some room for um, uh, interpretation. I'm guessing that again, it's it's largely going to be implied a, kind of a, a, a either class of business or subclass of business or, and and premium level. Is, yeah. I guess um, this is the other side of the coin to the complex risk platform described as the Lloyd's Risk Exchange, as I think you said. Um, and the idea for this is just to say this these type of low complexity risks, non complex risks, as they described. Um, should just be straight through. So the complex complex risk needs somebody to look at. If you're in, if you're insuring, I mean, I'm picking my nuclear power station example again. If you're insuring a nuclear power station, chances are that there's an identical nuclear power station somewhere in the world is basically zero. And um, obviously that's that's a pretty extreme case. Um, but where the risks are much more complex, you really need at the moment the human intervention. Obviously, there's lots of talk about AI in the future, but that's a separate topic. Um, so the risk exchange, it says, actually, that these things can be auto-rated. They don't need the human touch. Why we do we have so much of human intervention, either just from a processing point of view or from an underwriting point of view? Let's just put that straight through uh, the system. And so this is, this is direct to insured or at least to the kind of end broker or cover holder. Um, and it allows them to set up the products, put it into the system, and it's everything just goes straight through and auto-rated. And how do they do it now? Is it a line at a box still? 
Um, well, there are lots of different methods of doing it at the moment. And quite a lot what happens is, in very simple terms, is it just gets delegated to the end of the chain. So actually, all you're really doing at the box is saying, in this big, for this portfolio of um, insured, insureds, or even this, this area or this class of business, this is the, these are the limits in which we're going to work. Somebody signs up to that once a year and then it's handed off. So you're not, you're, there is very limited cases of kind of very low complexity risks arriving at the box and somebody saying, can you insure this individual motor policy for me? Hmm. Um, so it, it, there's a certain amount, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of efficiency around that, certainly within the Lloyd's building um, by binding authorities and so on and so forth and cover holders. Um, but this, I think what we're saying here is a kind of, okay, that's all good, but we still need to make that process more efficient because there's still a lot of handoffs between the different parties, N- not least the fact that if you completely outsource it, and, and obviously the reg- um, compliance person would be saying to me, you can't completely outsource your authority to somebody, but if you, in essence, hand the pen over, how do you get the underlying data so that you understand truly what your portfolio mm. of risks look like if you're sitting in, in the Lloyd's building? And again, this system is designed to just make all that data flow through. Similarly to the complex risk exchange, it's building on work that was done in the the London Market TOM program. So DA SATs, for example, um, they're going to take some elements of that and, and, and build on it. So what will phase one look like for the Lloyd's Risk Exchange? Uh, so what they're going to do is they're going to uh, uh, deliver the delegated authority solutions, which builds on DA SATs. Um, they're going to deliver the first pieces of the interface um, for um, uh, underwriters. So search engine product and structured product and distribution configurator. It's not explicit in the blueprint which of those, whether they're going to do a bit of all of those or pick one. Um, and they're also going to start to do something, um, we start to build API connections into existing e-trading platforms. Um, and I don't know whether you want me just to describe a bit of what an API connection is, because that's that's referred to a lot in the document. Like, That'd be really helpful. I have a very... 79 su- times or something, I think. Um, I have a very superficial understanding of what APIs are. Yeah, so that'd be very helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in, in essence, an API allows one system them to connect to another um so for example the broker system can connect into the underwriter system and say here is a here's a policy that i've found here is the risk information now historically those we've had interfaces between systems for for ever since the computer was invented um historically the way that worked was that you would send information over in in batch either overnight or monthly process and then it would be processed by the system API is a little bit different. API, and, and sorry, I'll step back a bit. That integration was agreed between the two parties and often a, a kind of one-off. APIs is, is much more around standardization. And what you're doing as the, as say, as the underwriter, what you're doing is saying, here are the APIs that you can use to access my system. Anyone, in inverted commas, with the right security access can plug into this and, and, and interact with my system. So, for example, whereas with an, uh, an it, with an old style integration, you'd send them over a load of data with an API. You would you would say to them, "Can I get quote number X, or can I find this policy, or can I find out about this this particular claim?" So you're doing things much more on a transactional basis in real time. Um, it's a particularly hot topic at the moment, and I'm I'm very much unsurprised that they're talking about it. All of our clients are talking to us about APIs and some 
are much further along the process than than others so i'm unsurprised they put it in there um uh, but there's there's i mean we won't necessarily talk about this now but there's lots of implications of that in real terms and how that actually works which the blueprint doesn't cover but to be fair the blueprint is probably not the place to cover the details of exactly how the apis are going to work and has, has all the tendering been done for presumably the um people who will provide all the all of the technology um, as far as I know. yeah, as far as I know, no. What I found interesting was that incumbent providers, um, as far as I could tell, were not mentioned. Um, actually, there's a caveat to that, but incumbent providers were not mentioned in the blueprint, other than the LM Tom, the London Market Tom system, such as PPL and DA Sats. So it's interesting that they they haven't explicitly said who's going to do what. They are talking about more ownership. So if I was someone like DXT, I might be thinking, well, what does this mean for me? Although I'm sure they're in deep conversations with the senior folks on this very topic. Yeah, you'd imagine, because I imagine that process would take a long time. So it would... Yes, yeah. yeah. And they've got, I mean, the the first, they talk about delivering in three phases, which is in simple terms, 2020, 2021, and 2022 onwards. Actually, the first real phase and maybe they call it phase zero is the transition phase between here's a blueprint. And by the way, now we really need to get into detailed planning and design. And that happens now until March of next year. Um, and I can imagine a lot of conversations of that type happening um, during the, during that period. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be great to kind of fast forward a few years and kind of look at it uh, in yeah. retrospect as a case study. Cause uh, it's a, it's a massive, um, if they pull it off, it just uh, it would be a massive uh, uh, win in terms of yeah. shipping, yeah. technology, everything. Yeah, um, and there's no doubt. I mean, I know we're stepping slightly away from the six solutions. There's no yeah. doubt that things need to change, um, and John can clearly see that. And to be fair, Inga Bill with a London market, Tom could could see that um, things need to change, and the challenge is making that change happen. Well, let's move on then to the next solution, which is the claims solution. So what is the uh, current state of play there? How are claims uh, settled uh, through Lloyd's at the moment? It's a bit of a mixture. Um, So typically you get the less complex claims. And again, the definition of that depends on who you are. But less complex claims get handed down kind of as far as as close to the customer as possible, just makes it more efficient. And then often the information about the claims and the amounts paid are handed back to the insurer, to the carrier to say, look, here's here are the claims we've paid. Um, And those are managed by the insurer on a portfolio basis. So you don't go claim by claim. You look at the whole portfolio. Um, I mean, that's pretty standard stuff. Then complex claims. And some people would say anything above 250,000. Um, pound payment would be a complex claim that would come then into the insurance of carrier for them to process internally because it's deemed to be complex those would all be managed on um, the internal systems of the different people in the value chain the cover holders so on and so forth through carrier and then into lloyd's lloyd's um use a platform called the electronic claims files ecf um, and that's used at the moment for storing that centrally recording that information. So, so Lloyd's, I'm, I'm right in saying that they don't actually sell the claims. That's handled by the each respective. Uh, Correct. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so what what is what what is the need for change then uh, for on the claims process? It's very similar to the quote and bind piece. Um, it's basically um, making that process making the process more efficient. Um, so one platform that everyone can can operate through, and also making the data more easily available. Again, if you're if you're a cover holder and you're sending a um, a claims border row, as it's called, over to the, the carrier to say, here are the claims I paid and here's how they're evolving. Because you don't, if you send it every month, you might get a claim, someone might make a claim that probably won't, not all of them will get settled in that month. Some can take years. Um, so you just show how the claims are evolving. Actually integrating that data into the carrier's systems to allow them to monitor the portfolio. And in some cases, in some lines of business, they just don't, they just manage it through a spreadsheet. Um, and Obviously, that is changing very rapidly. Um, the claims solution is is implying there's going to be more responsibility from um, more execution by Lloyd's. Yeah. So the single platform, everyone can sit on the platform. The claim gets put in at one end near to the insured or by even by the insured, and then that is that is that data is passed all the way through. Um, and so there's a single record, single record of the truth. Um, and the system will also allow the different parties to handle the workflow of that claim to say, okay, the claim has been raised. I'm now processing. It's gone out to lawyers or it's come back or we've paid it or it's in dispute or whatever the different status might be. Um, They're also talking about using AI to triage the non-complex claims. And they, I think they put an example of sub 5k claims. So they have been a bit more specific there. So anything less than five thousand pounds, triage it, and then and then just pay it straight through. Now, obviously, any um, uh, claims person listening in will say to me, well, just because it's under five k doesn't mean it's not complex. So that's part of what the AI will need to do. We'll need to say, hang on a minute, this has got a liability angle to it. That could that could be a very small payment because we just need to pay some lawyers just to look at some stuff and say we're all fine. Or it could lead to a large lawsuit that does need to be handled by a human versus actually it's just a dent or scratch or whatever it might be or a bit of house that needs repairing. Yes, that's fine. We'll just, we'll just pay it straight through. Mm. Um, so that's given the platform would be provided by lawyers. That's get lawyers getting a bit more involved in the process itself. Um, and then there is the, this is where kind of lawyers gets even more involved. They're talking about a centrally managed claims service for non-complex claims. So, for example, an insurer could say, um, actually, you know what, we want to, anything sub 5K of within certain criteria, actually, Lloyds, you provide that service to us as a TPA or third-party administrator, as they're called. It's a standard kind of relationship, but Lloyds will provide that service. And the argument would be if we get enough scale, Lloyds has enough scale, it can provide that very cost-effectively. And obviously, it's running off the Lloyd system by default because it's the Lloyd system. So again, that helps keep the cost down because everyone's on the same thing. So, would that be a new um, would that be a new departure for Lloyd's and kind of setting up that kind of uh, expertise? Well, it's it's not. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a hugely new departure because they do provide central kind of a, an array of central services that's that infrastructure point i mean not only is it a building but they also kind of provide other services around it so it's not a new departure um it's a bit more involvement um and obviously the the tpas that are in the market already will be thinking well how how does that affect us and obviously they have economies of scale a lot of them because they operate multinationally um, 
So, uh, yeah, it's not particularly new, but it's it's a different thing. Cool. Well, let's let's move on to uh, a capital solution. So, like traditionally, at Lloyd's capital providers were individuals known as name, yeah. and now in, in, the, yeah. in the last number of decades, uh, there's been a lot of uh, corporate capital coming in, and yeah. From reading through the future at Lloyd's report, it seems they want to encourage new sources of capital. So can you give us uh, the yeah. state of play now and where they're hoping to go to? Well, I think you've described the state of play beautifully. Um, uh-huh. I don't think I have Thank really you. anything to add to that. That's that's very, I mean, without getting into lots of lots of detail, um, that was, I thought that was very clear. And basically what they're saying is that, as you said, is they want to open up to new forms of um, capital. So examples include insurance-linked securities, which allow non-experts as well to invest in, um, in insurance. Um, there's follow capacity, which is basically there's this concept of lead follow, which is a lead um, underwriter will say, yes, I will kind of take, I will make the decision on what the, what the premium is going to be. Or I'll make the main decision on what the premium is going to be. I will be responsible largely for handling all the claims, but I'm not, I don't want to take all of this risk onto my books because if it all blows up, it's too big a risk for me. So I want to spread it around. And that's one of the beauty of Lloyd's. It makes that spreading around the process quite easy. Um, and so though the people that, that follow are, are called follow capacity. Um, and what Lloyd's is talking about here is the ability for people to participate in the market as follow only capacity, which is to say you will sit behind somebody who kind of knows what they're doing and provide capital to support risk where they want to diversify a bit. So there's the insurance linked securities, which is going to securitizing the investment. Um, there's the follow only capacity and then what they call a market tracker, which is to say, if you put the money in here, we will give you the equivalent return on following X, these 10 syndicates, what, what they do. So if they make a load of money, you make a load of money. If they lose a load of money, you lose a load of money. It's kind of like um, an index. Exactly. Exactly. Like an index. Yeah. Um, it's not precise how it will happen, whether that they will take that money and directly put it as follow into, like I manage that for you and put it into follow behind what those other syndicates are doing or I don't know, some other method I haven't thought about. Yeah. So, so just to summarize that follow thing, because obviously follow, uh, follow lines isn't a new concept, but this no, seems new no. where you will say that we'll, we will always follow the, uh, yeah. X, Y, and Z. So, syndicate. Yeah. So most, most syndicates, are a mixture of the two. Again, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were saying it's, it's very hard in most syndicates that are there, most of the carriers, it's very hard to disaggregate that there isn't a, like there isn't a team doing lead and there isn't a team doing follow. And you can say, well, if we do only lead or we do only follow, then um, we just kind of take this team out or take that team out. It's all interconnected. The underwriter for Marine Hull, it will do the lead and the follow underwriting. Um, and what they're saying here is they're going to allow people to come into the market who aren't allowed to do lead. They're only allowed to do follow because they're not going to build all that capability. So you've then got some of the existing syndicates saying, well, hang on a minute, this, this is what we kind of do this already. And then what, what's going to happen to my follow business, which is X percent of my business. So you're right. It's absolutely not new, but this concept of only following is new. Yeah. And actually, uh, assumably then the cost of the capital is probably cheaper. So there's probably is, a good incentive to use uh, that follow capacity and maybe even reduce line sizes. That's, that's the implication. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the idea is to open up lawyers to, yeah, to new forms of capital, as it says, and the idea being to try and find cheaper forms of capital. Although at the moment, I mean, it's changing a little bit, but at, at the moment that, um, I suppose it's a self-interest here, but I'm not 
hearing lots of clamoring for new capital in the into the market mm. i think this one is is more around making lloyds more open to new ways of doing things and try to be a bit more efficient rather than genuinely saying you know what we have a massive shortage of of capacity in the market because i i don't hear anyone saying that so speaking of lloyds being kind of open to new way of new ways of doing things so the next one seems quite new so it's called syndicate in a box egg yep can you explain exactly what that means so the the idea is um uh that they want to make it easier for people doing genuinely new things to access lloyds now as i said at the beginning one of the value proposition elements as it were of lloyds is that people can set things up in a, on a shoestring so it's not as if lloyds is impossible to enter um, obviously over the years they've become they've had to become a bit more restrictive about what people can do just to keep control of things obviously the last few years there have been some pretty bad um weather events that have, that have um uh, meant that the lloyd's central funders have to pay out so they've, they've been put a bit more control about it but fundamentally syndicate in a box is allow as they describe it new and innovative syndicates to more easily join the market so if if you want to be a syndicate in a box, um, you must bring new or innovative business or distribution to, to Lloyd's. You mustn't be too scary in terms of what you're underwriting. So they describe it as peak perils, so kind of limited exposure to peak perils like US or Caribbean, Caribbean wind. Cat perils, basically. Exactly, yeah. 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 So like the, kind of, the less scary you are, as it were, the, the better. So I mean, they talk about short-tail risks rather than long-tail risks. Okay. Um, and they described it as a pro three-year program um, that within the first year you must be writing less than 100 million of, of GWP. So you must be kind of experimenting with new things rather than just kind of doing big scale existing stuff. Um, you must be on track through those three years to hit less than 35% um, expense ratio. Um, and you must be on track to be less than 100% combined ratio by year three. And what they're saying is in return for all of that, we will reduce the capital requirement, the amount of money you need to hold in order to write business on day one um we'll re- we will defer your payment into the central fund so anyone participating in the market has to pay into the central fund um to contribute towards when big things happen and as i said last year money came out um uh, and that's the kind of backstop um sorry to use a brexit analogy but that's the kind of <laughs> backstop fund um i believe we reporting. got this far without using the yeah, b word yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry about that i'm sorry um I could have got I could have gone straight over it and not mentioned it anyway. Um, and then faster and lower cost approval process. So I mean, it's currently two hundred thousand pounds approval process, and it can take five to twelve months. They're saying it's going to be a hundred thousand, and it'll take three months or less. Um, and so the, the idea is just to make people access more quickly. Munich Re um, has is sponsoring the first syndicate in the box that will start underwriting on January twenty twenty, um, and I. And I assume the plan is to just get more of those on board in the next 12 to, well, the next over the next three years. Yeah, that'd be very interesting to see. Uh, particularly, uh, I wonder how the syndicates in a box will break out of the box as such and kind of integrate down into the, the, the normal market yeah. for the three years. Yeah. Well, so they've, I mean, they haven't said that much about it, but they've said yeah. you can actually continue in that process for three years if you so wish um so you can but you have to kind of resubmit at the end of the three years um and the point about the box is um time for an insurance joke but 
we it was kind of it mildly amused me that um the 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 place in um lloyd's building where underwriters sit is called the box and um syndicate in the box obviously uses the word box but ironically they weren't they're not actually allowed a box in lloyd's so they're the only syndicate that won't be in a box but anyway it's so yeah so when they break I'm, out of the I'm box i mildly chuckled to myself yeah <laughs> when they break yeah, out of the exactly. box then they receive their box yes yeah yeah it's a joke um it's the joke that could just keeps giving uh, for, about, for about 10 seconds until you realize it's an insurance joke and you <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah yeah until you tell uh your uh your wife or your friend or something yeah like that. yeah yeah no my wife didn't did not uh, find that amusing <laughs> or, or even understand it um so the first five uh solutions you know they're very very specific uh around what they're yep. trying to achieve the last one is called services hub and it seems to be you know everything else that didn't fit into neatly into the five yeah. kind of goes here. Can you give an overview yeah. of what that is? Yeah. So, so as I said, one of the value propositions of Lloyd's is providing infrastructure to allow people to kind of focus on the value add part, focus on the underwriting part and not the, not the commodity bits of their business, like compliance and all this type of stuff. And what, what in essence is saying here is that Lloyd's wants to just put, grow the, 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 the pot of services that they're going to offer to the participants in the market and put more robustness around the process of um, providing those services. So in essence, it's a central procurement function that offers up accredited services. I assume also pre-negotiated. So Lloyd's can go to the, um, Lloyd's can go to a provider and say, look, I have got, 30x billion of GWP going through the whole of Lloyd's, what deal are you going to give me on providing your service to the market? To be fair, that's not expressed in the blueprint, but if that if I were them, I would, I would do that. Um, and what they're going to do is they're going to take all the existing market services and then bundle them into through this process and then start getting newer third-party services. And a lot of those seem to be around um, data and, and tech. Um, so, um, risk forecasting data and know your know your customer technology compliance checks all that type of stuff um, and so it's I mean you're right it's kind of dumping ground is a bit unfair but it's it's where all of the third party services are going to sit and just making that more um, more robust yeah, really. and in the phase, of, in phase the bottom of the pyramid as such uh, you know everything else will, yeah. will sit on this uh, yeah yeah absolutely um, and in phase one, year one, they're going to deliver a, um, they're going to put, pull together the, a, a list in essence, a database of the existing service and then start to build. There is a technology platform. It wouldn't be a solution in the blueprint if there wasn't a tech platform. They're also going to build a tech platform so people can self-serve these services um, um, as, so, and suppliers themselves can onboard onto the, the system. Um, let A bit less clarity on precisely what services and what order, but Again, that's the type of stuff that you'd expect in the next few months until March. That's where they'll say, okay, here are the first few that we're going to kick off with. Cool. That's great. Um, so like, what, what are some of the assumptions that are the implied assumptions that have been made uh, in, when you read through these, this report? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, as, as you know, obviously we put some thoughts down on, on this. And if I kind of rattle through those, um, I think, I mean, one, certainly from my background as a technologist, one of the things I found particularly interesting was that there's a lot implied and explicit, in fact, in the blueprint around ownership 
or control at least of the technology. I gave you the example of Lloyd's putting an equity stake into the PPL platform. Um, and I just, it's just an interesting view on it. I mean, if you look at the other part of Lloyd's, it's all about creating a marketplace for other people to, to transact. It's a marketplace. Whereas with the technology, they seem to be, no, no, we want to own more of that um, ourselves. And I think, I think that can, it, it could be a challenge, um, particularly if you look at things like the, the complex risk platform. There are other people out there doing things like this. I mean, Swiss Re, Swift Re, Aeon's just launched a digital placement platform for reinsurance. Um, uh, there's Tremor as well. There's, there's people doing this type of stuff. And you just kind of think, should Lloyd's really be saying, we're going to build it ourselves or actually just setting up the right environment to say, whoever's got the best tech out there, yeah. we'll, we'll set the standards. We'll tell you how you should play. Off you go. Whoever wins, wins. going to create a marketplace around it. Um, if Lloyd's is going to want more control, and as I said, it's, it's, there's implications in the blueprint. There's not, not a lot of explicit statements. So I may be reading too much into it. You kind of think they need to reinvent themselves as a technology business. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the so London Stock Exchange, for example, and fundamentally the stock exchange is now a kind of technology provider. Um, and I think that's quite a big that's quite a big step. I'm not sure that's probably what John Neal is thinking. Although, I mean, I don't, I can't say for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it was just a it was one where I thought strategically that's quite a big call if i'm reading it right mm. um and it would be a challenge particularly because you've got so many participants in the market and you're going yeah. to get, get them to, to agree to stuff yeah so i suppose the choice being do we continue to do what we're great at and have been great at for you know hundreds of years or do we completely yeah. go into something new because uh, you think if yeah. you because they have to bi- you know, build a whole new uh infrastructure of, with people systems a whole lot if they really want to go down yeah yeah, absolutely. When and where I think, I mean, I do think there is an option to say, to for lawyers to set standards like data standards or interface standards, API standards, as it were, and say these are the standards you need to operate on. Who provides the tech? I don't really care as long as you use these standards. Um, off you go. Yeah. But and as I said, I'm maybe reading too much into the blueprint and, and, and misreading. Um, I suppose. Sorry, go ahead. I should, well, we won't be going to the same place. I was just going to say that they seem to be implying as well that all this investment in tech will ultimately reduce costs by quite a significant amount, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, at the moment, it's, I mean, circa 40% reducing to uh, 25%. I mean, they don't explicitly say when, but but um, there's only a the 30% target is fairly clear. Um, but by long term, it's 25%. And... Um, now, if we, and sorry, in the blueprint, a lot of the Im- implication, and again, that's why I say it is a, an assumption, the implication is that the technology will drive the cost reduction. And I think that's going to be a, that's a, a bit of a challenge in that if you break down that circa 40% of um, uh, expense base, 27 odd percent of it is the acquisition cost, it's the, the cost through the distribution. Um, whereas 12, 13% of it is the administration cost is the true expense base. And what they're saying is that we're going to have to, obviously what they're saying is we're going to have to reduce the 
both of those because if you take if you take the 39 percent and you take circa 13 percent off you don't get down to 25 percent you're going to have to do more and even that would require you to take the entire current admin cost out um which is is obviously not possible you still have to manage something um so I think, I mean, I think they might be hoping they're going to grow out of it. They talk about doubling of the GWP um, in the next 10 years. Uh, so that might be a way of doing it. Um, but I think it's technology is, is, is a wonderful thing. Um, in this market, getting it to really genuinely take cost out, especially through acquisition, is going to be a challenge for them. Um, and especially when you're in essence going to say to some of the distribution players, I want to pay you less. So you, I'm going to help you take your cost out, but I'm going to also pay you less. Yeah. And I suppose that comes on to the, uh, the next kind of implication or assumption uh, or implied assumption, yeah. which is that yeah. the market will actually come along with them. And if they do, it's, yeah. it's a great lesson in leadership, but it, it is, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. And that's, I mean, there's so many vested interests in the way the market is set up at the moment. And, and actually, let me just, I, I'm, it's, it's always easy to kind of pick holes at things. Um, it's worth just saying that, I mean, it is a market that provides a valuable, very valuable service with a lot of market participants who are very, very specialist in what they do. Um, and of course, it's been around for a while and it's worked pretty well for a long time, very well for a long time. So it is a challenge saying, well, look, we have to fundamentally change. Um, but the market the participants in the market do have a vested interest. If you're going to say to someone, look, I want to do something that means your income is going to drop, that if you're the owner of one of these businesses, like, well, that's not necessarily great for me, is it? Um, and I think because it's a marketplace rather than a large corporation top-down structured, you have to take people on the journey with you. You can't you can't always um, you can't always just say this is how the world is, is going to be. Having said that, um, I mean, in essence, Lloyd, there is a certain way aspect that Lloyd's can do that because they can say if you want to play on this platform, you have to abide by these rules. And I think there's always that fine balance because what you don't want to do is say is make the platform so unappealing to be on. People just say, you know what, we use our own company paper instead, and forget it and everyone starts leaving Lloyd's um so I think the historic things have always had that struggle the London market Tom um obviously made some good headway but it struggled with getting people on board and I think at this stage what we've seen is people kind of nodding at concepts um actually now what they're being asked to do is do some real stuff and some of it may not be in their immediate best interests um but I do think I think John's definitely going to have to certain areas where he's going to have to just put his foot down and say this is how the market is going to work. Mm. And do you think Lloyd's and the market can handle this um, uh, this level of change? It's a huge amount. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I haven't. If we, if I had kind of people just hanging around with nothing to do in Oxbow Partners, I would certainly put someone on the task of doing a rough kind of size of the prize costing. Mm. Or even just even just resource estimate for the total number of things they're planning to do in 2020. But it's a huge undertaking. And yes, of course, you can just throw a load of people at it. But all of the different market participants are going to have to absorb it. And 
they've got businesses to run at the same time. They don't just mm. have people hanging around. Um, and it's been a tough few years in the market. And so, yeah, there's not lots of money sloshing around for just kind of paying for these things. Um, so I think it's going to be, I think that is going to be a big challenge. And I, again, I can only assume that in the next few months up until March, they will spend a proper chunk of time going, looking at those things and going, okay, genuinely, can we manage this change? Can we afford to do it? That's one question. Can we actually physically get enough attention from people to get all of these things through or should we prioritize? Yeah, that's a great point you make. It's like we've been talking about all this work they're going to have to do and all these changes whilst also running a, a market and then the participants in the market also have to run their own businesses. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, um, potentially a huge distraction. So hopefully the, the yeah. payoff is worth it. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I talk to London market clients, and I literally never heard any of them go, "Oh, yeah, I've got loads of people just spare hanging around <laughs> waiting for these for these things." But that's not to say that people don't want the change to happen. Yeah, and that's a very different point. I mean, it's this blueprint is a huge, been a huge amount of work. Clearly, uh, I think one thousand one hundred stakeholders engaged, five hundred surveys, that kind of stuff. A huge amount of work to get to this stage at the moment, and lots of involvement with the market. Um, and people know that things need to change. And it's just a case, purely this last point is just how, how able are they to take on that amount of change rather than how willing are they or how much do they see it as an important thing to do. And assume, assuming um, uh, you guys at Oxbow Partners can come in and uh, help certain people, can you maybe just give, uh, give us an overview of what kind of things you're helping people with, with maybe with the future at Lloyds and also uh, with other aspects of their business? Yeah. So, I mean, as a whole, as I said, we're a consulting business. Um, we uh, help people um, in uh, typically strategy-related questions, operations and technology. My personal specialism is in ops and tech. And as I said, the blueprint is a, is a massive operational and technology-related problem. We tend to help people when they have pretty complex problems to deal with, where it's not just a case of I need to tweak a process here or I need to just kind of make some small changes. It's really like, okay, we need to think differently about how we work and we need to really understand how this industry works and how that all links through to the operations and technology. And particularly around people are looking to find new ways of doing things and new types of technology um, to help them. And that's where we really are our best because we, we are insurance specialists. There's no kind of clients don't have to train us up. Um, so the type of things we, we do, I mean, we've, we've fairly recently finished a global operating model design and, and the, the start of an implementation with a client, and that's across nine countries. Um, we've been doing a lot of what you might call digital transformation, um, which is basically just, it's in essence saying, how do I make my business ready for the future? Whether that's entirely online, as a lot of personal lines is, or whether that's a combination of people and technology together to build a valuable service um and i mean so those are those are a lot of the areas um that we help clients with cool well thanks greg um how can people get in touch with you they can email me at gbrown at oxbowpartners.com um if you go to our website www.oxbowpartners.com then you can find all of the information on there to get in touch. Please do get in touch. Love to hear from you. Great, Greg. Thank you. And do you have any parting words before we head off? Um, I suppose my parting words would be to John Neal. I think he's, he's definitely got, he's definitely got a strong ambition 
and he's starting in the right way. It's going to be a tough journey. He said that himself. I think good luck. We'd love to be a part of making it happen. Um, and I think I hope everyone gets behind him. Great. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.